Hi, everybody. It is, uh, well, I guess it's the next day. It's Sunday. Happy Mother's Day. I guess I am entitled to say, or required, rather. It is uh, Sunday, May 10th, 2020. The, uh, the main event for UFC 249 just ended. My name is Luke Thomas. I'm known in a million places, I suppose. I'm the host of the Luke Thomas Show on Sirius XM, uh, Morning Combat on Showtime Digital, and a bunch of other places. This is my UFC 249 post-fight special. So we're about to get into all the results, all of the analysis, and everything in between. And boy, there is a lot to get to. So I don't want to waste any more time. If you don't want spoilers, now is your chance to get out of here. And without further ado, let's get this going, shall we? All right. We're back. You know what? I don't need to subscribe now. Just go to main. Uh, okay. So, a couple of uh, 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 pieces of business here. Uh, give the video a thumbs up. Subscribe to the channel, please. Hit that subscribe button. We're trying to do our best here to, to grow the channel. Um, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. I hope you guys enjoyed the fights. Wow, man. There is so much to get to. Oh, my God. That is uh, kind of unbelievable. Okay, so at this point, if you are here... Oh, and by the way, last thing. Uh, so, you can subscribe. Yes. And if you want to donate in the Super Chat, you certainly may. And I will get to the questions that come from those donations at the end of the program. All right? Um, like my tweets tonight, I'm going to try and keep this as coronavirus Jacare free as possible. Because when I bring that up, people lose their fucking mind. So we'll make this principally about the fights. All right? With that in mind, let's get to them now. Uh, your main event result. Wow. Jesus Christ. Justin Gaethje defeats Tony Ferguson. The official time was 3.39 of the very fifth round. Oh, my God. Um, I thought that fight could have been stopped earlier, to be honest with you. Now, I know that they probably wouldn't have, given the stakes and the consequence and the caliber of fighter you were talking about. They're going to be very, very reluctant to kind of push the... I got the screen over here just running. Hang on, let me turn this off. Um... They, they are going to be reluctant to stop that kind of a thing early, which you can understand. Again, I'm not like mad. Oh, it should have been stopped early. No, I'm just saying if they had stopped it a little bit earlier. I wouldn't have been uh, opposed to it because here's just the reality of it. Justin Gaethje abused Tony Ferguson tonight, which I did not see coming. I mean, I saw – okay, so everyone had a bit of a different perspective, I'm sure, on this one. Uh, Justin Gaethje went in as a sort of slight underdog – to Tony Ferguson, which you could respect and understand given the tenure that Tony had had in the division and uh, and some of the losses that Justin had taken. And the problem with Justin was like, okay, he had these three wins over James Vick, over Edson Barboza, and over Donald Cerrone, but that's not Tony Ferguson. So you, you're like, well, well what is that really going to mean? And then Tony Ferguson's boxing, I, I sort of noted it, it's, it's not like by itself the boxing super crisp. I mean, Dude, we had Rashad Holloway on this channel, his boxing coach. His coach even noted his chin's up in the air, but there's it's so many other pieces that go into it. It's the forward pressure. It's the kind of timing and the pace that disrupts everything. And then, and then he cracks. He hits hard. And then when you put all of that together, it, it, it's just really very, very formidable. So, um, so you thought, well, there's that. And... 
the thing about it is when you when when you fight a guy like that, we had Brad Riddell on the, on the channel as well, the sort of the, the the kickboxer out of New Zealand, an MMA fighter too. He was saying, you know, when you do that, it'll turn the opponent into an instinctual fighter because they just don't have time to settle into things. But two things really happened in this fight. And, of course, I'm going to go over the technical details for a technique breakdown on Monday. But um, two things from a general perspective happened in this fight. One, uh, and I think this was the most important one. If you go back and you watch the Cerrone fight, it's really the best evidence of it. But it, you, Well, prior to this one, it was the best evidence. But now you can see it here. It was Justin Gaethje's lateral and then inside and outside movement. He is constantly on his feet. He is L-stepping to the outside. He is getting his opponent to turn, to get away from their power shots, and to find his. And then he has these unique entries where he comes in, and then when the opponents are turning and escaping and rolling, he's got a series of combinations, even with delayed timing behind it. Not always. Sometimes it's a one-two or it's a you know a two-shot combo, not, not a one-two specifically. But you know he's got he's got a lot of other built-in weapons depending on the response that elicit is elicited from the heavy punching up front but the big key to it all and the big change he made was and you could see it in this fight when he would kind of stop and slow down and kind of stand and wait he got popped with jabs he would get hit with other things nothing too devastating but like tony could touch him more and it was when he got lateral 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 inside inside lateral lateral that was when tony just had a lot of problems because uh, that was hard to corner. Now, that by itself wouldn't be enough. But, as I mentioned, he's got a lot of different unique entries. He's got good, accurate punching. He's got very hard punching, Justin Gaethje. So, between him finding openings, and then when he finds them, he is, I mean, he's driving punishment home. And then he's getting out of the way. You see the kind of trunk movement he had? I think he showed it pretty well in the fourth round. I mean, he was doing really good stuff. He was doing really good stuff. So those two things were like the power was a deterrent because he was constantly finding the mark. It was it was landing over and over and over again. And then Tony couldn't couldn't really effectively over time disrupt it with that style that he has because you had this lateral movement constantly happening. I mean, obviously, there's significantly more detail that's built into it, but those are the two factors to me from a macro perspective that really had an effect. And... And it was it was brilliant. It was truly brilliant. You take the brilliance of some. I mean, you guys have heard Trevor Whitman talk about like, oh, I saw this between the rounds and blah blah blah. I mean, <clears throat> I've only had a handful of conversations with him, but every time I do, I'm like, you know, I got eyes like, you know, dinner plates because I'm like, oh, I didn't think of it that way. I didn't know it that way. He is a very knowledgeable guy, and I think Justin. I've said it before, I have a whole video, I have another video on this channel. Dude doesn't get credit for kind of how smart he is. Now, certainly I think Trevor, you know, probably the more encyclopedic of the two as it comes to combat sports technique, but then you take someone like Justin who is not respected enough as I think he should be. Maybe today this will change um, in terms of what, what he understands about the game. And then you take that kind of drive that he has. And the thing about it that stands out to me is that when he fights this way, it's a really disciplined fight, right? He's got disciplined footwork. You know, and a couple times he was throwing right hands. I, I tweeted about it. He was throwing right hands like he was trying to fucking throw someone out, stealing third to home in baseball, and he was in center field, you know, just, just winging it. Okay, but in general, you know, what he threw was planned. What he threw had been previously strategized, you might have a Gaethje like identifying it in the moment or working off muscle memory, but that muscle memory 
is only a memory by function of what he has trained with and what they had planned for and what they had just probably drilled endlessly. This is not the Justin Gaethje that lost to uh, Eddie Alvarez. This is not the Justin Gaethje that had lost to Dustin Poirier. I am not telling you uh, out of due respect for Dustin Poirier. Obviously, Eddie Alvarez is over at one, but out of due respect for Dustin Poirier, who I hold in very high esteem, uh, I'm not here to tell you that Dustin could not beat him, but he would. it's not the same challenge anymore, and I think that's very fair um, at this point. So Dustin was the clear and deserved winner the first time. Um, if they ever have a fight again, I guess we'll see, but he, it's, a, it's a new challenge. It's a new challenge because he is taking the things – that make him formidable. He's a heavy puncher. He is accurate. Some of the shots wing, and he gets off balance at times. Um, but um, uh, you know, that, they, they point out the left hook was tremendous. The leg kicking is tremendous. He's sort of an up and down threat. But on top of that, now everything is disciplined and guided and refined and directed and intentional. You know, it's not just sort of reaction to have to, in his words, to have fun. Um, it's incredible. It's incredible. He has a case to be made. Like, dude, how many, like, people get better over their career, right? But how many have, like, a period of just total reformation where, like, you can, you can see right here, there, this is one portion of their career and this is another. There's, like, a line in the sand, you know, a clear demarcation point. That's very unusual. It happens, but it's fairly unusual. Sometimes you see it when they change weight classes, right? Um, or, you know, uh, there can be other sort of cases that way. But in general, to, to have like these two like very distinct chapters in your career where there are some things that carry over between the two, but, you know, to be so different and yet... Um, and, and to do it in such a stark way is... It's just so highly unusual. It's so highly unusual. It's very, very special. Justin Gaethje is obviously, as you can tell today, a very special fighter. Um, that was a masterful performance, and and it wasn't through anything, you know, in particular, um, you know, super special. It was clever. There's a lot of times <clears throat> you're going to see this. He would land on Tony and force him to evade in certain ways, and then he would catch him at southpaw angles. So he's switching up through. People don't really take the the stance switching of Justin Gaethje too seriously. He showed a little bit in the Barboza fight, even a little bit in the um, in the in the, the Parrier fight too. Sorry, the Parrier. I'm sorry, um, Cerrone. You see it in this one as well. Um, uh, and to be honest with you, uh, that dude is a formidable fucking challenge for uh, Habib Nurmagomedov, y'all. I talked about this on the live chat yesterday or Friday anyway, which is like, who is the guy to beat Tony? Like I watched Tony tonight. Oh, sorry. Who's the guy to beat Tony? Pardon me. It's late. Who's the guy to beat Habib? I watched Tony today and I wondered if, if he would have beaten Nurmagomedov, right? Because it would have depended on his game plan. Now, if he had a game plan where he just committed to fighting for submissions off of his back or in transition, who knows, right? Hard, hard to say. Certainly today did not tell you anything about that. But let's say he had had a game plan where if he got taken down, he did what everyone previously before him tried to do, which is just get back to your feet. It would have taken an enormous amount of abuse from Nurmagomedov to put him away. I don't think he hits like uh, Justin, and I don't think he can like really deter you with punishment in the same kind of way. Right? He doesn't have that same kind of clobbering power in the way that Justin Gaethje does. 
And so Tony would have been there the entire five rounds. Maybe he still loses by virtue of positional control, but I don't know. I got the, I got the sense that like depending on how Tony wanted to fight, that one would have definitely absolutely gone the distance. But Justin Gaethje is Justin Gaethje is. I think Brad Riddell said it on the channel too. It's going to be Ally Quinta fight over again, where you know, and he was jabbing up Al in that fight, which Al, by the way, took to Al's credit on like the latest of notices. You know. What was it, like a 24 hours or whatever the fuck it was? Something crazy. Um, so, so in out of respect to that fact, I, I, Justin Gaethje is the opposite of Nurmagomedov in many important respects. We now have seven UFC fights that Justin Gaethje has been in, a whopping zero takedowns attempted. Seven UFC fights Justin Gaethje has been in, a whopping zero submissions attempted. It's the opposite of what of what Khabib Nurmagomedov is. Now, all of this hinges on to what extent you can stop the takedown. And if you can't, well, then it's just going to be a really bad night for you. We all know the story there. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. But to the extent he can meaningfully disrupt that round over round, not to say every time, but most of the time he can basically stop it, uh, that's a tough fight for Nurmagomedov. That's a very tough fight for Nurmagomedov, man. Wow. That is going to be really, really interesting. And, dude, understand something about Nurmagomedov. It was something you saw on Tony today. Dude, Tony's been cracked before. You know, like Lando Venata had him on skates for a fairly long period of time in a fight, which doesn't have to be very long. 30 seconds can be a long time. I have to go back and watch exactly how long it was. But it was enough to be like, oh, my God, Venata is hurting this guy bad. Like, this is not going well. And of course, he eventually recovered, but um, you know, no one had put a sustained beating on him like this ever. No one has beaten up Tony Ferguson like this ever, ever. You know, he the last loss prior to this one was the Michael Johnson one. Go back and watch it. Michael Johnson was landing like good shots, and they were enough to to you know to win ten nine across three judges scorecards um, in in you know three different rounds. But it wasn't like he was dropping him or like crushing his face and shit like that no it, it was just he was basically out striking him more or less why does this have what's have to do with Nurmagomedov well my point is this Nurmagomedov's never been knocked down and he's never been cut I mean again unless the wrestling of Gaethje utterly collapses dude he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna hurt Nurmagomedov at some point in that fight um and the question is then, what is? How does he react? How do you react when you're basically thirty fights deep in your career, at a high level, and no one's ever really stuck it to you that way? Because dude, Justin Gage is probably going to stick it to him, at least in certain points. He stuck it to Tony Ferguson for roughly twenty minutes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Did you all see him? I, you could have picked Justin. I think most people thought if Justin was going to do that to Tony, he was going to knock him out within one or two, right? I think that was the general feeling. Did y'all see him just absolutely pulverizing him for 20 minutes? Because I didn't see that. I didn't see that coming at all. Anyway, so that leads me to, to conclude that um, it will really just hinge on Gaethje's ability to fight off the wrestling and then to not gas from that, right? Because if he fights it off early and there's really tense moments in the first two rounds and then, uh, you know, he gasses, Habib's going to have his way with him. So, um that's going to be really – listen, let's <laughs> – okay, let's take a moment to pause here for a second. Salute to everyone drinking here on their, or getting high on the, uh, after the fight. 
let's say a couple things beyond just a fight. Um, it appears that we have lost, probably in all likelihood, any hope uh, ever of Tony Ferguson versus Habib Nurmagomedov. That appears to be gone. Now, there are always ways to make it after the fact, where they made... Uh, you know, people look on it fondly now, but at the time, Vanderlei versus Chuck was very much past its due date. Um, and there's other fights like that where you know they, they eventually made them, but they never made them at the, the time frame that they were supposed to. Look, you got to give the UFC in that particular sense all the credit in the world. They tried to make it five times. Five times. Two, got, two times Khabib got injured or had issues. Two times it was Tony, and then a global pandemic happened. I don't know what there. I don't know what else there is to say. It wasn't meant to be, I suppose, and that will always be something where you wonder again. Maybe Nurmagomedov loses, and they fight. He fights Tony after that. It might still be very good, but the tension and the significance is effectively lost at this point, and that is that is terrible. That is terrible. That is a real piece of lightweight history that has been taken from us. From me, from you, from them, from the UFC, from the sport. Uh, everybody suffers as a consequence. But I have to tell you, I do not have a long face about it this evening. Your mileage may vary. I am much more inspired, tonight anyway, and maybe this will change over time. But I am much more inspired tonight by the performance of Justin Gaethje. It is... Um, I don't know how you guys feel about sports, but the way that I look at it is, I don't, okay, I mean, I cheer for my home teams, right? I want to see Bradley Beal do well. When John Wall comes back, I'd like to see him do well. Alex Ovechkin, um, Dwayne Haskins, Chase Young, we'll see how it goes. But um, even for people I don't like, if they're going to lose, okay, but I would rather see them lose if and only if, in the totality of their career, they have had an opportunity to fulfill potential. There was a lot of times in LeBron James's early career, which you know I didn't—I'm not a LeBron hater or a fan. I, I'm, I'm neutral on LeBron. I mean, I certainly respect what he's capable of and what he's done. But you know, when he had uh, what was it with the Miami series when it was like he was good for three quarters, and he would suck ass in the fourth, and there would be all these memes on Facebook at the time where he'd be like, "Oh, don't ask LeBron James." change for a dollar bill he'll only give you three quarters back all this dad humor shit um but then eventually he sort of overcame that and he became something bigger and then of course went to cleveland as well and won a championship there too like he really began to do truly special things and i, I don't know that um he has utterly fulfilled his potential but he got a lot closer certainly with some of the wins in miami and then the the championship in cleveland all that is to say um in assessing this in this crazy situation that we have found ourselves in, Justin Gaethje is on a path to fulfilling his greatness. And it's not one that I think a lot of us saw coming, even in the way that he did it tonight. I think, again, some of you might have rightly and correctly predicted he would have won. My whole bit on this was skills win fights. Tony's been more skilled. The knock on that is he's 36, going to be 37 soon. That's old for the division. Um, Justin seems reformed, but I went over this before. Is it truly reformed? Because you, you, you fought against three guys who are not... Tony, but I thought that the smart money would have been on betting uh, Justin Gaethje, uh, given the uh, the upset potential. But I did not think outright he would win, um, and of course he he ended up demolishing Tony as we saw. But like I I am heartened tonight. While we did lose, it appears 
Tony versus Khabib, and we lost it in the way that it mattered most. Um, this is the fight game. You don't get everything you want, even the most important ones. It is a, even if they fight later, as I mentioned, it will always be a what if. But I really think tonight is not a night to be hanging your head and to be upset and to be intensely focused on the absence of those things, but rather the manifestation of Justin Gaethje's greatness. He did something to Tony Ferguson most people don't even come close to doing. It wasn't like, you know, the dam finally broke. I mean, it did in the sense that, you know, finally he lost, I suppose. But, I mean, let's go through his wins here since losing to uh, Michael Johnson. He submitted Mike Rio, okay? He demolished Katsunori Kakuno. Had a split decision with Danny Castillo, but that was a very exciting, you know, back and forth. He submitted Abel Trujillo. He submitted Gleason Tebow. Dominated Josh Thompson. Submitted Edson Barboza. Submitted Lando Venata. Fought Rafael Dos Anjos in Mexico City in the sky and had a greater output in the fifth round in terms of his strikes than the first. You can check that on Fight Metric. Then he submitted Kevin Lee. He TKO'd Anthony Pettis. He TKO'd Donald Cerrone. Like, dude, no one even got close. You could say Danny Castillo, but like, was that is that really saying that that was close to what Justin Gaethje did? Justin Gaethje put it on him. Put it on him. You have to marvel at that. You ha- that that is the takeaway from this evening. The takeaway, of course, will always be in part what is lost, but rather, I, I think that the focus should be on what is gained, and what is gained is that Justin Gaethje is fulfilling his greatness. Not in totality. We won't know until he fights Nurmagomedov, but certainly in that perspective. He is doing that, and that is the thing that should should take your breath away, man. It should take your breath away. If you're a real fight fan and you watch that tonight, you should be like, I was watching, I just could I... <laughs> You know, uh, he was pounding Tony Ferguson's face into hamburger. It's unbelievable. This is the, this is the sweet spot. I, I, uh, I did a bunch of radio spots this week talking about this fight. Uh, different radio stations and not not on my channel on my, on my show but like everyone else's show I did Nick Wright's show shouts to Nick Wright I love Nick Wright I did the junkies here well I did the version of the junkies here um in DC shouts to the junkies and I did some other places and you know so they were sort of asking like what was the significance of the bout and I tried to explain it to them and they all know who Nurmagomedov is because I'm always like oh it's the guy who choked out McGregor like that's usually the the, the trigger that they get but um dude lightweight and welterweight to an extent, I think you can make the argument as well. It's the sweet spot of the tennis racket. Like globally, that's where the best talent is. The best talent is at lightweight. The very best fighter, certainly in the men's division, obviously, um, across organizations, across countries, across cultures, across languages, the overwhelming preponderance of talent exists in that division. So you mean to tell me you had two of the best guys, and maybe we'll find out the best guy. We'll see how that goes. Competing in this in this uh, main event, one guy hadn't lost since 2012, and the other is a reformed fighter who just happens to be one of the most exciting and violent fighters in the sport. <laughs> I mean, you know, we could talk about safety protocol and, and how crazy it was and all that shit separately, but there's a lot to like there. There's a lot to like there. And Justin Gaethje showed up, man. He showed up in a huge way. I just can't sit here and hang my head about it, and I won't. I can't look at this and be like, oh, 
we lost Khabib and we lost Tony. All right, that fucking sucks. Um, but isn't the goal of all of this not merely to get like, yeah, part of it is to like get your favorite fighter to fight your other favorite fighter or to get these two behemoths and, and Mont or, you know, these, these uh, titans of the division. Yes. And I wish we would have gotten it sooner. And I was, I, I, I traveled to UFC 209 when, um, I think it was the co-main and it was the rematch between Tyron and, uh, and uh, Wonder Boy, I was there. I went to Vegas for it, and I remember uh, sticking a microphone in Nurmagomedov's face at Media Day, and he had horrible cotton mouth. You know, he was really suffering from it. Of course, we know what the issues were after that. Like, I wish I wish it would have gone down then, dude. It just didn't. It just didn't. You know, what are you gonna do? Um, but Justin Gaethje, wow, man, totally ascendant. What an ascendant talent that is. What a team he has put together. Um, Trevor Whitman, and we, you knew he was a genius. If there was any doubter, you know, that's over. And I can't wait for him to fight Nurmagomedov. I can't wait. Can't wait because this whole thing is about discovering, at the UFC level anyway, who is the best? And listen, like who is the best heavyweight is, a, is, a, is I want to be totally fair, is a really important, really significant question. It's true for any weight class, women's straw weight, men's heavyweight. It's really true. But it's no, it's not as important as who's the best lightweight. You know, I mean, unless you had a really special crop and we'll talk about Francis in a second, but do lightweight is it's the, it's the, it's the King's division. It is the division of gods. And so figuring out who's the best there, that, that's really what matters. And if it was all together, Justin, the dark horse, who was really the best one, then that's just what it was. You know what I mean? It's just what it was. And, and you know, this is why having fandom in MMA is hard. It's why having allegiances in MMA is hard because you get attached to a guy. And then Tony does the impossible, right? Because he provides success with longevity. Eight years. <laughs> it's just an unheard of amount. Like eight years of success. You see all these companies like, okay, you know, uh, Modelo, right? Like Brian Ortega is on, a, is on a great run. Let's get behind him. And then, you know, Max comes along. Or, you know, they did one for Stipe. And I know Stipe ultimately re reclaimed the title. But he had lost it in short order after that. And it's like, dude, like these companies in MMA, these businesses, these sponsors, they're trying to find these talents who can just hold on to a title because it's so difficult to do. And Tony did that. But in the end, this is the way it goes. Let me say one more word on this and we'll move along. Again, if you have a question, you can, you can submit it and we'll get to it later. But um, let's say a word of congratulations to Tony Ferguson, which is uh, I recognize that he lost. But um, what he accomplished, and I know you're going to say, oh, well, Nurmagomedov's uh, undefeated. Yeah, he is. Um, for now, anyway. But what Tony was able to accomplish, uh, by the way, another fighter who was reformed, like the buzz on Tony Ferguson when he came off of the Ultimate Fighter was that he was good, but not that he was like like Tony Ferguson good. He was just, you know, interesting and developmental prospect coming out of the Ultimate Fighter. And he turned into something absolutely marvelous. There was a guy who, first of all, he did capture a UFC title. I know it was an interim one, but he did capture it. 
And I feel like losing the Nurmagomedov fight will cast a shadow on to what extent he was able to um, fulfill potential. But to me, man, he really did. And I would never really want to take that away from him. He was able to beat the best fighters, um, not really they could put in front of him, but the last like four years or longer than that, the last, I'm going to say... I'm going to say right around, yeah, the last like five or four or five years, he was fighting the very best of his generation. And he was doing it his own way. I think a lot of people learn from Tony that you can you can march to the beat of your own drum where you know, he was building a team around him. He's not a member of ATT or AKA. He was very much his own guy. And the kind of win streak he was able to put together in the division that he was able to put it together in will not be soon replicated. Justin Gaethje might not ever be able to do it. In fact, coming off those two losses, he's got a long way to go. You can see how difficult that is. Dude, I've said it before. You can have good nights. You can have good runs. But to have that kind of extended longevity, Tony Ferguson did something. It came to a to a brutal end today. But that is always how. Dude, these ends are never pretty. You are never going to be that good. And then, you know, unless you're like St. Pierre. And even then, dude, I kind of thought St. Pierre lost to Hendricks. And, and even if you want to say he won, dude, he he walked out of that octagon on his hands and knees, okay? Or crawled out of there anyway. Um, it's never going to end pretty. Dude, the game is where the, the new feasts on the old. It is it is just how it goes, okay? That is, that is the way. It was never going to be pretty. But the way he built what he built and what he turned himself into, he should be very proud of himself. If you are a fan of his, you should take comfort in that fact. Um it was special. It was really, 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 really special what he what he was able to put together. Okay. So I think it's running. Okay. So with that in mind, let's go to the co main event. All right, co main event. Henry Cejudo defeating Dominic Cruz at four fifty eight of the second round. Winning via TKO knee and punches. So he hit him with a knee. Let's talk about the stoppage first. Hits him with the knee as uh Cruz's level changing in Cejudo perfectly times and he crashes into him and he gets wobbled and you can see like Cruz is making faces as he wobbles back you know because he got hit hard you know and <sighs> stoppage is not my favorite now I'm not going to sit here and say it was calamitously bad because I don't think that's true um, but you know Dean let the let the main event go which didn't have that same like punctuating moment it was like the main event was like Chinese water torture, you know, where it's just this constant drumbeat of eventual punishment. The co-main wasn't like that. It was like this this very poignant moment. But in the end, um, I saw Cruz getting to a knee when Keith Peterson stepped in. To me, it's like, you know, maybe let maybe he gets to a knee and then just continues to get bombed on and then they stop it fine. A little bit early for my taste is what I would say. Not egregious. But Cejudo appeared to look tremendous in this one. Not even appeared to. He did. He looked very, very good here. All right. So what was he doing really well? He would get Cruz behind the two black lines. He would he would keep distance to kind of no-sell all the movement and all the tricks. He didn't bite on any of the feints, hardly at all. A little bit um, when they started exchanging in close range with their, with their hands. But at distance, he didn't really bite on a whole lot. And then he, when he would get Cruz behind the two black lines close to the fence, and when Cruz would try to, to uh, go in a lateral direction, he would intercept him a lot, 
with leg kicks, hard ones, dude. He was blasting him. You know, they must have thought we don't care how you know those. We're gonna test the uh, the structural integrity of those knees uh, and every other piece of your uh, your you know every other ligament you have in your body with the with the power of those. Um, I have to go back and look at some of the other way in which they were trading on the feet, but the speed of Cejudo, his ability to back up um, Cruz consistently, it all had the sort of overwhelming effect. I thought Cruz was sort of getting his bearings in the early to middle part of the second round because he got stopped at 458. I mean, there's two seconds left in the round. You know, let it go a little bit longer. Yeah, I definitely feel like I should let it go. But when Cruz was able to find a little bit of a rhythm um, with the boxing, he was getting he was getting Cejudo a little flat-footed at times, which is really where he benefits, you know. But to me... Um, and I said this on the radio show a lot, Cruz does not have the same striking style as Frankie Edgar, not by a long shot, but at the same time, there's a the there's this uh, underpinning sort of fact to both of them, which is, you know, if you look at the way Cruz beat Demetrius Johnson, he had to mix up the wrestling um, to get it. He would have position, he would have moments in the fight where he have long stretches on top and, and, and in top control. Um after securing the takedown, if, it, it's like if you can't get the takedown, you have to just win on the striking. The striking is is less built for that. It can do it in long stretches if it has to, but it's about establishing the takedown threat and then the takedown presence. And Frankie Edgar's kind of like that too. I, I, have, I, I had noted the the fight with um, Max Holloway is like that, right? It's like, the, like Max didn't blow Frankie out, but you know, it was just sort of clear winner over five rounds because the takedown just was not a component for him. Uh, it's kind of like that. And then, strangely, Cejudo just retired, age 33. Now, there's this big question of, like, did he retire because he wants to get paid at age 33, uh, you know, with a few years left in his prime, or or maybe just a couple at this point, or is he, like, legit done because the dude's been since age, you know, single digit has been doing nothing but this and just wants to live a normal life to the best extent that he can. I'm willing to entertain either theory at this point. Your guess is as good as mine. Um, a lot of times these retirements, people, they roll them back, you know, they don't, they don't mean shit. So who the hell knows? But yeah, fucking dude retired. Cruz is more interesting to me. Cruz at 35. He's got some choices to make. about where he goes from here and um, and what he does. Like, just working your way back to the top of the division is going to be hard. Now it's open. And so the question is what you do. If Cejudo is really gone and he and he is just dropping the title, I, I think that they had thought that Jan was going to get the next title shot and they were going to put Sandhagen and Sterling together. Well, now what do you do? Because now Sterling and Sandhagen have equal depending on your perspective, reasonably equal claims to being next after Jan or uh, Sanhagen was on the, on the, on my show. He thought he should go first, you know? So I don't know how they're going to navigate that. If in fact, what he said is true, it creates, I've said it before, like it's never great for the division champ to just give back the title. It's always best that when they lose it, however, you know, uncomfortable and, and punishing it might be for the champion to give it up. It's just better for continuity. It's better for star development. It's better for any number of things. Now it creates some complicating factors. Or you could do a four-man tournament too. 
I suppose you could do if you wanted to throw Cruz in there, but the three would be Jan, Sterling, and Sandhagen. You could throw someone else in there and see how it goes. Could, you could do that as well. B- Bantamweight is another, you know, the, the youth of Bantamweight were going to take over sooner or later. Um, I guess now sooner. But Henry Cejudo looked great, dude. He looked great. He had a couple again. There was there was moments where he was exchanging on the feet with Cruz on uh, with, in the boxing range, and he had some problems. But in general, he was in command from the from the word go, hitting him with the Rob Kamen leg kicks where it goes across both thighs. Brutal. Um, that's the end. He had a great career, short career, but a great career just the same. Uh, I, though I wish. He wouldn't do it though. I don't think it's great for that division for him to to just walk away. But you know, who the hell who the hell knows if it's professional fatigue or professional negotiation? I mean, UFC doesn't like. I mean, here's the thing about UFC: they don't like to be leveraged, right? I think we can all agree on that. They don't like to be leveraged. So, you know, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> how about this result? Fuck. Francis Ngannou defeats Jairzinho Rosenstruck, strike, however you pronounce it, at 20 seconds of the first round. Dude, you know what's so crazy about this? If you watch in slow motion, you can see Rosenstruck, strike again, whatever, in slow motion, backing up, leg kicking to off balance. Francis, and then landing, I think it was a right hook, could have been a left, I think it was a right hook, and like popping his head a little bit, you know? Like, and he's, and, and Jair Zinho has like eyes downfield the whole time. And he's bop, bop, bop. And he's like throwing things. I think he was backing up straight, which is what ultimately cost him. But, you know, he did it when he was like the blitz. It ha- it, there's, there's pluses and minuses to the blitz that Francis was undergoing. One is that if you can do it quick enough and, and in a sort of explosive way, they won't have time to like laterally move. They'll just go straight back. Um, the, the counter is that you could get clipped doing it. But if you're really good about it and you're quick, which he was, he's quick for a big man, and you have a decent enough chin and they're off balance enough. I mean, he was throwing and looking, Jairzinho. And then that left hook came home and kaboom. Oh, my God, dude. Francis Ngannou. What is his nickname? Do they, do they give it? Was it a Cameroonian Nightmare of the Predator? Okay, Predator's pretty good. It's one of my favorite movies. You know, we got old Dutch back there, right? Y'all can see Dutch, right? Where's Dutch? Yeah, there he is. There's old Dutch. Uh, yeah, cool man. Then, if you don't want to give him a new nickname, then give that. Then give his punch. A, it's the dim mock. It's the death touch from Bloodsport, dude. He just touches these fools, and <laughs> and they just they turn to sand. Oh my god, he's got. I mean, uh, what is it? What is the Vinny Paz line? Um, it's a burgundy bath. Uh, everybody gets turned into ash. Being able is just something I made my personal task. Oh my God, dude. He's out here just turning everyone to ash. The G36 puts you in surgery fast. Everybody dies regardless of first or who last. Yeah, that's it. He's turning these fools into ash. And dude, Rosenstruck, if you ever clicked on his Wikipedia entry, he has significant, significant kickboxing experience. You can look it up on YouTube too. You can watch old fights. Like the dude is talented, and again, he was, he was eyes downfield, bop, 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 bop. He was trying to react to, like, to you know, he was not intimidated by this guy at all. And then, uh, you know, he got hit with a, he got hit with a wrecking ball, 
dude, Francis and God, and here was the other part about Francis. You know, he had a long camp, and I've been talking to his coach Eric Nixick a lot during this quarantine. You know, getting updates from the camp, and they've been telling us that the guys have been just working hard and just just doing nothing. You know, obviously, you can't do much anyway, but even with the the general limitations, just living this like completely committed life to the craft. He looked to be in good uh, physical condition. He always does, but like even more like trim and you know fight ready and holy shit dude i said it before i'll say it again this fight should have had an interim title attached to it and i know folks are allergic to the idea that there should ever be interim titles listen it's i'm not telling you interim titles are a thing that makes divisions great they don't they make them bad i'm willing to admit that up front but here's what they do if if francis had an interim title and he got either dc or stipe next he would make more money off that fight than he's going to to me, we have now taken whatever purse he would have had and we're reducing it by potentially several, several multiples, okay? I don't think that's great. Second of all, dude, that's the best heavyweight maybe on the planet. Certainly, that's your number one contender, right? We, we are talking about a sport where there is no union. We are talking about a sport where all bad things inevitably fall in the lap of fighters, we can't throw Francis a bone at this point and give him a, cut him a little bit of an extra check and maybe give him a little bit of gold to make him feel good about himself because, by the way, he deserves to, given how well he's performed, you know? And then sort of it's no guarantee because the titles, apparently, according to the UFC, don't exist in terms of the rule. Well, we think they do. They are merely trophies that they hand out to the best fighters that night. They don't actually confer status other than what is in the contract and what it specifies in terms of pay. Dude, we could have gotten Francis more money for his next fight. To me, it's not. It, it's a lost opportunity. It's a lost opportunity. And, you know, if it relieves the pressure on Stipe to fight, because they could have made a DC fight, which I don't know how likely that is per se, but to me the big one is, it's like, dude, we have, we have ready instruments to get guys paid. Let's use them. Let's use them. Oh, it, you know, it would confuse the public about who's the champion. Really? Is that what it's going to do? Yeah. yeah. What is it? There's not seven sanctioning bodies, man. You know? And by the way, <laughs> a little confusion, to be quite candid with you, makes any potential unification a, a greater sales point. Dude, Francis Francis is a special talent. He's an ascendant talent. He is, he is maybe the most dynamic puncher I've ever seen in my life. He, does, he deserves a bigger check next time. And there was one way to get him that, and they didn't do it. I'm not. I'm not sure how that's a benefit. You know. Anyway, who the fuck knows what's going to happen next? The other part about this is he beats Rosenstruck in 20 seconds. I know he had a long camp, so he needs some time off. But even with a little bit of time off, I suspect he'd be ready to come back. It wasn't like he had a super hard fight. He had a hard camp. Okay, fair enough. But he didn't have a super hard fight. Like he could come back into rotation pretty quickly if they needed him. And I suspect if they can't get Fight Island going or there is some kind of issue with international talent being able to get shows made. They might call upon him, who knows, for whatever kind of match they can make. But um, anyway, dude deserved a, a bigger check next time. Just pointing that out. Un unbelievable, his, power, his punching power. Never seen anything like it. Never seen a guy this consistently... <laughs> Just, dude, he just touches these guys, and they. Where is this photo? I I tried to post it. I had some Twitter issues on my phone. Let me show you this. 
Um, this is a real photo. Can y'all see this? So I, hang on. So I sat behind Francis in 2017 at the um, at the Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series when it was still filmed in the old Tough Gym, and I sat behind him. This is my picture of me behind Francis. Can y'all see that? Bro, look at this guy. <laughs> is that not nuts? I'm sitting behind this guy and I'm like, this dude is a mountain of muscle. I'm not a small man. I'm six foot four. I'm 280 pounds. And this dude was like, you know, and you, you see him when uh, like Rogan would stick the mic in his face and then big ass Francis comes around. He's got these two hands like fucking catcher's mitts and he's just swallowing Joe's hands. I was like, oh my God. This dude is the biggest puncher I think I've ever seen. I don't. I. I. I honestly struggle to recall seeing a puncher like that in my life, ever. Uh, Calvin Cater defeating Jeremy Stevens at 242 of round two, uh, 150 pound catch weight. You know, a bit of a slow start. Jeremy Stevens kind of stuck it to him a little bit, and but dude, this was Calvin Cater's boxing combinations when he was letting them flow and he was switching angles through them, not not stances, but angles, and he was finding new ways so the punch would come bop, 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 and then it would come up, and then it would come over, and then it would come around. He would just had these, these these really interesting, um, hard-to-anticipate directional attacks. And then on top of it, dude, that was Carlos Condit brilliance, where um, one of the reasons why elbows can be dynamic is it's a great way to challenge a boxer through MMA, where they're used to a certain kind of range. You trick them into thinking that you're still in that range, and then you step into the range a little bit more. And then in this particular case, you land the elbow. It's exactly what Carlos Condit did in a number of fights, in particular in the Tiago Alves fight, one of Carlos Condit's most brutal performances against a very game Tiago Alves. I think that fight was even in Brazil. It's a great way for people. It's what Brian Ortega did to Frankie Edgar. You think you're in boxing range, and then you step into it a little bit more and they, they get overwhelmed all of a sudden in this particular moment. It's exactly what happened there. It, it was just, what a win for this guy. I had that guy on my show, too. He told me he was in camp for 16 weeks, 15-plus. You know, crazy, crazy amount of time these guys were gonna, trying to get ready. What a win for that guy. Dude, Jeremy Stevens has, you know, he wins and he loses. But he fights the very best of his generation every single time he's out there. And um, just phenomenal win. Phenomenal win by Calvin Cater. Uh, okay, Greg Hardy defeating Jorgen DeCastro. This fight sucked. 30-27. Greg Hardy's manager, Malky, seemed to get bitter at me on Twitter about it, but I'm not sure what to say, which was, look, dude, Greg Hardy obviously has some ability, and he he legitimately won this fight, and he looked good in parts of it. He's got good distance management. He's got good um, recoil, right, when he wants to sh throw a punch and then get out of the way of a counter shot. He's got good trunk movement like that. Um you know, he's got, he's got, now he has a much more uh, disciplined approach to offense. I think his defense has sort of caught up in a way where now his offense has been stymied a little bit. You know, a lot of times, usually you see guys just get offense, 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 and they slowly bring the defense along. Greg Hardy has kind of like, he went like offense, and then the defense caught up completely, and now the defense has sort of gotten even ahead of his offense, where, like, here's what I wrote, which was, like he wins these fights, and I'm like, I don't have a clear sense of his fight identity. Like, I've got a pretty clear sense of Calvin Cater's fight identity. I've got a clear sense of Cejudo's, Francis, Justin Gaethje, but anyone on the main card. 
I can point out individual things that he does, Greg Hardy, but he doesn't have like this fingerprint that I can really like, you know, identify. That's that's a real Greg Hardy kind of a win. That's a Greg Hardy kind of a fight. And again, he's still very much a developmental talent, so maybe that's understandable. But I don't know. It just doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't. He doesn't leave a tremendous impression about you on you. Yes, with the win, but. certain faces you can remember certain faces you can't right of course you can remember his face but I mean um, certain games that fighters have really electrify and stand out to you his does not for me not yet anyway Uh, Anthony Pettis defeating Donald Cerrone 29-28 across the board thought Cerrone pulled that one out was a little bit surprised by it Um, the third round was the best of the three I thought Pettis was good early with. He would cock out like this and get a reaction, and then depending on what what Cerrone would show him, would then fire some kind of shot to react. Um, But Cerrone had great takedowns, good top control for decent periods. You know, Pettis is squirmy underneath. So uh, I give Pettis, excuse me, Cerrone a lot of credit for that. I thought Cerrone, I mean, just crushing him with that head kick in the third was unbelievable. You know, I thought he won. I thought he won, to be honest with you. But uh, Pettis performed ably. I mean, he looked good. Um, I also noted here, between their first meeting, Pettis had fought 14 times. This was the 15th. Cerrone had fought 26. This was the 27th time. Um, a lot of miles on Donald at this point. And he had a different coach this time. He had John Wood at a syndicate MMA to help him get ready. I did not think Donald looked bad. Um, I thought both looked a little sluggish at times, not so much in the third but I don't know how much that was like abbreviated camps, plus they're fighting at 170, not 155, plus they're a little bit longer in the tooth. It was kind of hard to tell, so that was a little bit weird for me, but, um, you know, can't be too upset with the result, but I kind of thought Cerrone won that one. Uh, Alexi Olenek defeating Fabricio Verdum. Verdum is the best submission heavyweight I think I've ever seen, probably the best one ever. I mean, he submitted. Remember, he didn't just beat... Fedor. He didn't just beat Kane. He didn't just beat Nogueira. He submitted all three of them. Um, and you can see on the ground when he, had, when he had the Kimura and then he used it for a sweep or a reversal, I should say, because the sweep comes from a guard. Uh, and then got pretty close. And, you know, he had a couple of arm bars he was attempting. Like, he's very crafty on the ground. But, dude, old man Olenek was just firing these looping-ass punches. But, you know, he just seemed to want it more. Verdun was, you know, had a long layoff. He had a USADA suspension. He did come in lighter for this, you know, low two forties, um, and and if you notice, it it reminded me a little bit of the Bigfoot Silva fight where he would get rocked early and then kind of come back and find ways to win. Although he did that one in a much more desperate way, like going to deep half and stuff. But um, it was a little bit too little, too late, and Olenek, you know, put up a really good effort early. Uh, and and two guys at forty two, it's like, you know, what can you really expect from it all? Carlos Sparza defeating Michelle Waterson. Didn't quite understand the uh, 30-27 for Carla Esparza, to be honest with you. Or maybe even either way, but certainly not for Esparza. But I did think she was the right person to, to win there. Um, Vicente Luque defeating Nico Price. Those two savages put it on each other, but then Nico Price's eye was really, really bad. So that, that one had to get stopped. And, you know, credits Nico Price. I thought he thought, fought a very disciplined game plan for the first time in a long time. Bryce Mitchell... I mean, putting it on Charles Rosa. Two 30-25s, one 30-24. Three 10-8s. Wow. Um, 
incredible. Dude, he is so gifted because he can go from um, understand something about the submission, right? So he's threatening the head norm triangle a lot of different ways. Either he was going to get it or what he does is he uses it as a pin, right? So if you want to pass the hips, one of the key ways to do that is to control the shoulders and the, the head sort of neck and shoulders. I, I talk about shoulder pressure all the time where you're grabbing and you're driving your shoulder into their jaw, getting them to look away, right? If you can get someone to look away from where they are, you have immobilized the upper part of their body, which means the lower part is not going to be able to move with the same degree of, of, of uh, uh, ability. So then you begin to pass. So he would use it either to threaten the submission outright or to just set up the pass. So you're picking your poison um, either way, and he would keep mount and then go to the back and then keep mount, nearly getting the tister, uh, the tister, <laughs> getting the twister twice. Um, incredible, incredible job by him. Really, really dynamic effort. And uh, I don't know if he got a bonus. I'll have to check here in just a second, but phenomenal performance. And then Ryan Spann defeating Sam Alvey. You know, I thought Ryan Spann, he was like doing Duke Khabib stuff where he was getting these like uh, head inside singles, tripping him out of the post leg and then wrapping the legs up underneath. And then he kind of would abandon it. Sam Alvey had a good check hook with the lead right hand, but not a whole lot to say about it. Um, Span, well-trained guy out of um, Fortis MMA, but what are you going to do? Okay. With that in mind, if you've got questions, I'm happy to entertain them. Whatever you want to get to, we can get to it. If we have any news about DAB bonuses. Um, Dana White says the vacant bantamweight fight will be between Peter Yan and somebody. Yeah. Maybe they're not going to match. Dude, they're not, they don't like to be leveraged, bro. They're going to match that shit quick. Not match. I'm sorry. Like, fill it in. Uh, Henry Cejudo says he'd like to see a four-man bantamweight tournament between Peter Yan, Aljamain Sterling, Corey Sandhagen, and Marlon Marais. And John Morgan says, I'm not sure Cejudo's retirement is just a negotiating ploy. Uh, Eric Albaracin is in tears listening to Henry talk about moving on. Yeah, interesting. All right, let's see what you got for me. Oof, Jesus, there are a bunch. Okay. Dana is making the Conor rematch. I see no world where he risks that payday for the fight with Justin. He could do it. He could do it. He's saying he's not going to do it, but I cannot tell you that that is... Be prepared for a world where Justin has to wait for the Conor Khabib winner. You know? Shouldn't happen. I'm not going to acknowledge it, but it could very well be the case. Someone says, uh, Alex says, that was the best Justin Gaethje we've ever seen. Does that Justin beat Khabib? Again, it, this fight did not tell you that a, a win over Khabib is inevitable. What it said was there are reasons to think it could be and that this was him escalating into the upper echelon of the higher levels of lightweight, um, the highest level of lightweight. But specifically how he deals with the threat that Nurmagomedov poses, it was less informative. Uh, someone says, I'm taking an extra hit of weed for my homie. You do you, player. 
Someone says Tony likely takes a break. Who should he fight next? Jesus. Dustin Poirier wants that smoke. I'd love to see that. I'd love to see that. Happy to see, this person writes, happy to see mad bullies beat down. Bye-bye, Gregor era. Okay. Nathan says, how do you think Francis' punching power compares with Deontay Wilder's if they wore the same style of glove? Great question. Um, I don't know. That's a good one. Deontay is another one of these freak punchers where, you know, it's the dim mock shit constantly. Deontay might be more because he has to wear bigger gloves. But, yeah, you know what? Deontay might be more. It's a fair point. It's a good correction. Inside MMA, Francis is the most I've ever seen. Paulie says, Justin came of age. The head shake at the end was almost like Tony trying to convince his body it's not done. You mentioned having to hustle like crazy for the Maymac press. Could you elaborate? Oh, I, that's a long story. I'm not going to get into it. But, um, yeah, when he got crushed with one of those like last few punches and you saw Tony you know, going like this, I... I that was when I was like, you got to stop this because he is barely hanging on at this point. Another question about Francis's punching power. Where does it rank all time? You know, Foreman was a big puncher. Deontay's a big puncher. Tyson was a big puncher. Um, Francis is a big puncher. I, you know, I, I'm not saying he's up there with the Foremans of the world, but it's, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't think it's that far apart, dude. It's like guys who have long careers in kickboxing can't seem to do anything with it. When a fighter as proud as Ferguson signals surrender, has his corner failed him? So I thought about the corner not stopping that one. But I also thought the dude's 36, 37 nearly. He doesn't have a ton of time left in the sport at an elite level, right? I'm not saying that falls off tomorrow. That's not what I'm saying. But, you know, time is not on his side. He's closer to 40 than he is 30, quite literally. And they want to give him a shot at... Um, You know, this was the biggest fight of his life, basically, to be quite honest with you. I could sort of squint and understand it. Could Tony get a title shot soon like Frankie did? Possibly. Somebody gets injured. Never know. What sacrifice do you think Alexi Olenek made to the MMA gods? <laughs> Nothing, bro. That's just hard work. That's hard work. Good for him. How about Ferguson versus Nate Diaz? That's another great one. Yep, sure. Tough fight for either guy. When Justin, Anthony, and Alistair are all headlining this week and also training out of Colorado, I was wondering who you thought who you thought out of Colorado has the best shot at winning a UFC title. With Justin, so Anthony Smith, Alistair Overeem, and then uh, Justin, who's the, oh, um, Gaethje. Um, I'll go Justin. I mean, he sort of won a UFC title tonight, right? Someone says, uh, Tony's team had nothing. Whitman was invaluable. No, Tony's team had a lot. But winning at this level is incredibly difficult to do, and it's incredibly difficult to do over time. And it took a reformed Gaethje to be the one to pound it out of him. Uh, someone says, amazing being able to hear every punch, breath, and word. It's so engaging. Hopefully the UFC takes notice. You were right. I don't know if I was right about that per se, but... Not hearing the woos. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. I mean, to not hear the fucking mouth breathers. And, oh, my God. What a, what a, you know, I was thinking about John Keats's poetry, you know, 
uh, what is it? There's a thing of uh, a thing of beauty is a joy forever. Is that it? Yeah, from uh, Endemion. I was literally I was literally thinking of like Endemion. You know, <laughs> I was like, you can't put a price on not having to hear, you know, low level primates issue mating calls to nearby relatives. By virtue of the, by by vehicle of the the woo, I will say this though. In fairness to the crowd, like I don't like it when they I hate it when they woo. And you know the booing, I'm never really a fan of either. Who is? But I did miss the crowd. You're know, like, well, look here, you are complaining or rather celebrating that there were no boos and woos. Yeah, but like, dude, no one makes a an environment electric like fans. No one makes it electric like just you know. You dream of that. You talk about that. You, 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 everyone sets the story about big sports moments with the, you know, and the crowd and the picture you paint about the crowd hanging in the balance there. Um, I did miss that. So there were other benefits hearing the shots land. You know, I, I said this before, you should go to a fight live. If you've never been, you should go, go to a local fight whenever they get going again and the world gets back to normal or whatever normal is going to be from now on. And uh, you can hear a punch land, and you can hear these guys like clashing into each other. You don't realize how much an auditory aspect elevates the experience. Um, but you got certainly a taste of that this evening. Do you believe DC when he says he could easily have taken Francis down in that bull rush? Yes. Or is he trying to preemptively shoot down a Francis fight? Probably both. <laughs> he don't want to fight that big monster. But can you blame him? The guy's fucking 41. Um, someone says I was wrong about Gaethje showing tweets during the fight is awful yeah I wasn't a fan of that either I didn't like that too on occasion I, guess, I suppose I don't mind but they were just constantly rotating him through you know does that Justin beat Connor now that is a great question hmm I have to think about that for a second. That's a good question. Um, does that Justin beat Connor? I don't know. I mean, Tony is going to be more hittable than Justin. Sorry, Tony is going to be more hittable um, than Connor, especially early. Um, and Connor's going to fire back. Connor's a very strong starter. It's a tough one. I'll say it's more competitive early. I mean, let's be real. Tony dropped him with the uppercut. What was it, the third, second or third? But outside of that, that fight was not competitive. Do we really think that Connor would get beaten up the same way? Connor might even get stopped. Like, think about it this way. What fight was more competitive? Kamaru versus Colby or Kamaru versus Tyron? You know, Tyron went the distance, and that is a credit to him. But I would argue that the Colby fight is more competitive. Even though he got finished, he got finished because he risked more. But he also did much more to Kamaru. So it'd be, it's sort of a question of kind of like that a little bit, where um, I'm not saying that Connor would lose. I'd, I'd think more about it. But um, there would be, even if, even if he got finished, he's going to put it on... Justin way earlier and way more often early. So it says, good to have you back. Good to be back, I suppose. Even with all the craziness. 
uh, has Gaethje's cardio improved? So that's a great question. We don't know the answer to that just yet totally, but I will say is, one, it appears that way, number one. And number two, your cardio can get better when you fight more efficiently. You know, part of the reason, was it after rounds two or three, where or even four, whatever it was, where Trevor Whitman was like, yo, take 10% off your punches. It's not because the punches weren't landing. I mean, they were landing. It's because if you fight more efficiently and you don't, try to, to do what you were doing, you can do it for longer. That's the idea. That's the whole idea behind it. Showing tweets during fights is okay, but I do not care if Bieber is pumped for the main event or Kid Rocks thinks there was a controversial decision. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. Uh, Mario says he appreciates us all. Thank you, Mario. James says, after Gaethje stops Ferguson, Khabib, and Connor in that order, will he be thought of as the greatest lightweight ever? That would, yeah, that would probably put him up there. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be something, wouldn't it? Um, someone says, even with Jacare Souza testing positive, how big of a home run did the UFC hit tonight? Do you think we will see any more fighters test positive this week? I mean, I don't know what to say about that. Um, God. I feel like I have to make a separate video about it because there's way too much to get into. I'll say this. Let me break this up just a little bit. Um, how big of a home run did the UFC hit tonight? Probably a big one. Right? Probably a big one. Um, that doesn't mean that uh, it's complicated, right? So, you know, I've got, I mean, here's the problem with this whole shit, right? If I say nothing, then I don't feel like I'm doing my job to raise concerns about things I think need to be addressed. If I say something, then fucking, you know, conspiracy mongering illiterates wash over me. Um, all the time, and I end up pissing off, you know, everyone in the industry to the nth degree, which makes the message not effective. So, for the first time in my life, I really have no idea how to cover this sport, to be perfectly honest with you. And then, do you see this whole shit about how it wasn't just fighters who signed a non-disparagement clause? It was media. <laughs> Did y'all see that shit? Media signed a clause, uh, the terms of which we need greater clarification on. Are you fucking shitting me that media signed a non-disparagement clause? How do you, I mean, wow. Okay. Uh, you know, I don't even, what, do you, what, do you, what am I even supposed to say about this shit anymore? You know? Um, I'll say this. I'll say this. In terms of the UFC event itself, major home run. No argument. Card was great. We knew the card was great, and it delivered. So that's great. When we see fighters test positive... This week, who the fuck knows? You know, I think that, you know, it's funny. I'll, here, here's what I'll say about all this up front, and then I'll move along. There was an argument that was made that the UFC's testing um, worked. Like, they're, they're not really the testing, of course, but the, but the safety protocol worked. And I actually don't think that's a bad argument. I actually don't think that's a bad argument. It's just a question of what the what the procedure and the protocol was designed to do. And if you really look at it, what it was designed to do was bring everyone to us, catch it at the front line, isolate everyone, and then deliver the product. That's really what the what the safety protocol has as a structure. And I think that this is the first time they've done this. So there's some, I think we could all agree that the first time you do it's probably not going to be the best time. Right. So 
There's going to be some improvements that are going to need to go into it. I think what's missing from them a little bit is, okay, what if you, you, you are banking on the idea that you catch everyone at the front line and then you bring them inside, quite literally, and that that procedure is enough to uh, eliminate virtually all forms of probable contamination. And that clearly is not true, right? I mean, who knows who else got it? Like, here's the reality. They all got tested when they got there, and then they did not get retested. So who the fuck knows if they competed with anything? But okay, here's the point I'm trying to make. If you had a system where you had keep, – keep what you have – but build into the protocol the idea that, okay, what if we have something where it happens again where someone tests positive and the results come back on a Thursday or a Friday or that Saturday? What do we have then where we are building into the system the idea that the system can break down in various stages and in unknown sort of unpredictable ways? Now how do we handle it? And the testing that they have, it wouldn't have done any good because they couldn't get the results back in time. So they, even if you had retested them, there wouldn't have been results pre-fight time. So to me, that's a lapse there that could be addressed. All I'm pointing out is it, uh, there are certain assumptions built into the safety of the model they had created. And I think a lot of that works, but clearly a lot of it doesn't and is in need of improvement. And so if they can, if they can think of, okay, so what happens if... Um, Dude, I got I had fighters reaching out to me telling me they had interacted with Jacques Array and his teammates, not even on the fight weigh-in day, like during the course of the week. You know, like I mean, who the hell knows what happened, right? Like God only knows, okay? So, finding ways to more meaningfully address that or create better upfront screens so that once you have to isolate, you don't have that problem, I think would go a long way towards assuaging some of these concerns. So to me, it's like when you say it worked, to an extent it did. It did what it was designed to do. The problem is there's a flaw in the design because the design does not take into account what happens when you get tests later on or the design does not take into account better measures of maintenance from the in-between space of fighters arrive to fighters fight. So if they can address that, it can get better. All right, someone says, I can't go back to silent strikes. I just can't. Dude, I'm telling you. The auditory experience of a fight, nothing like it. Justin wrestles, but how much does he match with Habib? Well, it's only defensive wrestling, which, by the way, comes easier and quicker than offensive wrestling, although Habib is obviously a master of both at this point. I don't know how to answer that question because there's no test like Khabib. I have to think about it more. Dom cuts Henry with a headbutt. Fight gets temporarily stopped. Henry headbutted Dom right after the knee. No temporary stop. That's funny. Uh, someone says, uh, thank you for being, or thank you for the great content. I still need time to process the Gaethje win. So instead I'll ask, how do you think Bryce Mitchell matches up against Brian Ortega or Ryan Hall or anybody else? Uh, I tend to think Ryan Hall is the outside of Crone and maybe even there is your best grappler in that division. But I would love to see it. Love to see it. And Brian Ortega needs a fight. Make it. Make it happen, y'all. Love it. Khabib does to Justin what he did to Dustin. Easy. Okay. If you're right, you can come back and brag. What does Greg Hardy need to do to get to the next level? A lot. A lot. Again, I don't know what his signature offense is. You know what I mean? 
Like, even Verdum. Verdum's got a great knee up the middle, which you, you saw from the Roy Nelson fight back in Brazil. Um, obviously, his guard is tremendous. His passing is really good. Like, I can almost point to any fighter and tell you what they're good at. I'm not... I can sort of do that with Greg, but it's not that easy. We talked about bantamweight. Appreciate the question, Alex. Will gave a donation. Thank you, Will. Brian says, does Dana do the right thing and make Gaethje Khabib with the money grab? God, y'all, I really hope he does the right thing. You know? Who, but but Connor's such an X factor, you know? He just, the rules just don't apply to him. They just don't fucking apply. You know, so what are you going to do? I don't know, man. I really, I really hope. I really hope. I really, dude, here's the thing. To me, I'll be honest with you, it's a slap in the face to Tony if Justin doesn't get it. Because that was Tony's fight, not once, not twice, not three times, not four times, but five times, and it all fell apart. Okay, that's life. But Justin did it. Justin was the guy that did it. Like, you got to carry that forward. You know? Like, you got to see that through. That's what this all is about. To me, it's a slap in the face of everything that Tony put together. Someone says, uh, I'm still taking extra vape pen hits for Luke the Lycan. Thomas, dude, my fucking whole shit is just awful. Um, I, I, <laughs> I took a look at the replies you were getting on Twitter. So here's a drink on me. Eh, they were better tonight. Luke, do you think overtraining could have affected Tony tonight? It kind of looked like he trained so long for Khabib and kind of fought Justin... Because there was no one else available. He had also told, talked about the training differences between Khabib and then Justin, which, again, is total opposite. Sure. Sure, dude. I mean, having your fight on a date and then delayed and then delayed, it can't be easy, you know? And then you're changing venues and, you know, the, the world shuts down and gyms shut down and it's hard to get people together. I mean, this cannot have been easy for any of them. So, sure. Sure, that absolutely could have played a role. But the other part was like, it's like it so dominant, you know? People say they need to get checked for CTE. All fighters should get checked for CTE. Fights were way better to watch without dumb drunks booing after five seconds of fighters not throwing punches or working on the ground. Again, the crowd, when they're good, cannot be touched. They make fights better in ways that are impossible to overstate. But I will agree that the worst parts of the crowd, I don't miss. The rumor is that Justin doesn't train on the ground. It's not a rumor, but it's been told to me outright. Yeah, that's, I mean, how true that was for this camp, I don't know. But how true that's been in the past, very true. Do you feel bad for not linking up Brad Riddell's social media accounts after he drops some gems on your show? Yeah, I guess I can link him up. I tried to do him a solid. I guess I didn't. I fucked that up, huh? Give old Brad a follow, at Brad Quake Riddell. I did link him on Instagram, but I don't have that many followers on Instagram. Sorry about that, Brad. I do appreciate your insight, Brad. Sorry about that. Does Triple C really believe he's retiring as the GOAT? We've sort of addressed. Tweets on the screen. Y'all seem to hate the tweets on the screen. I mean, I didn't love it, but I didn't hate it as much as y'all. Um, if they do it... No, I didn't like it either. No, I didn't like it. No. Alex says, I'm breathless from watching Gaethje and smoking this. <laughs> Big ups. Do you, player. Justin Gaethje won me 200 pound, but lost me Tony, but lost Tony Khabib. I'm happy, sad. Yeah, that's fair. Understandable, my man. I get it. 
Uh, someone says, "Will we will most probably never see Khabib Tony ever. However, do you really think that the MMA guys decide the best fighter to beat Khabib, or do you think Tony's still better suited? Impossible to know. Impossible to know. I addressed that sort of at the top of the show. Why did Tony take one of the biggest risks in his MMA career to fight a number four ranked fighter during COVID-19, knowing that his fight with Khabib would have been the largest clash of styles in MMA history? Yeah, he called Max Kellerman a ca uh, casual for asking the question. Look, man, here is the here is the beauty and then the frustration of MMA fighters relative to boxers that I've had in my career covering uh, not not the same amount both, but both in, in to a degree. Um, boxers do shit like in a rational way that makes a lot of sense, and you're like, oh, right, well. It doesn't work out for me as a fan, but I, I get it. And then when the career's over, you're like, well, at least they had this opportunity and blah, blah, blah. And MMA fighters are just like, fuck it. You know, don't care. And then they do shit like this where, you know, they really could potentially, like, like a boxer probably would not have done what, what, what Tony did today. And the good part about that is, and I mentioned this before, like you had Bud Crawford. You guys know Terrence Crawford? Bud Crawford is like one of the, he's might, might be the best fighter alive. He gets a cut of the gate on all of his contracts, and he was like, "Yo, there's no gate. I'm not fighting. Like, go fuck yourself, you know." And they did what a nearly twenty million dollar gate for for Wilder Fury two. There's a question in boxing about whether or not you're going to get the best guys back early. You will get boxing at some point, right? Like they'll put it on in a studio or whatever. You will you will get boxing, but what level of boxing will you get? That remains to be seen, and it's a big concern for folks. Um, I don't. It's 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 a sad tragedy, but it's a it's a reality. It's a it's a boon for the consumer, because MMA fighters. I mean, there's no union in boxing, but they have federal legislation, right? Well, MMA fighters have no federal legislation, and they have no union, so they're arguably the. Again, we're speaking relatively here, the worst treated athletes of the of the bunch. As a consequence, you're much more likely to get the highest order fighters in MMA because they don't have the same kinds of protections or luxuries that afford them the space to say no. Um, with this early retirement, can he really claim that he's the best combat athlete ever? No, he cannot. Remember when we were begging Tony not to take a replacement fight with Justin? <laughs> Pepperidge Farm remembers. Also, here's the thing about that. You say that, but if Tony had won, you'd be like, fucking legend. Like, Tony took a risk to do something brave and daring. And you could say, in retrospect, it wasn't advisable. And if I were his manager, I would not have advised it. But, first of all, Tony very much marches to the beat of his own drum. I think we can all agree. And, you know, nothing ventured, nothing gained. It was a lot, is a way a lot of MMA fighters view their, view their career. So, um. It's partly why you love them. So Chad says, I listen to your show every every night at work. Makes my day. How come no three-hour shows during fight week? Yeah, dude, COVID-19 fucked up New York City is why. Um, basically, they can't get back into the... My understanding is that they can't get back into the building. And so there's just not enough staff to power it. They're running a show out of like the Midwest. They're, they're running my show out of some studio in the Midwest. And they can only do it for like a fraction of the time. So like, dude, I'm just lucky to be live. Oh, by the way, I'll be live next week again. I'm live all next week, but I'm still one to three, just two hours. So 
No, I would love nothing more than to go back to three to six. I love that time slot. It's my favorite time slot. Um, but I'm happy to just to be alive, to be perfectly honest with you. Someone says the competition has improved too much in the last five to seven years for Cruz to keep up. His footwork was embarrassingly bad tonight. It didn't seem bad. It just did seem to like it didn't rattle Cejudo. Also, Justin broke Tony not only physically but mentally. I don't think he broke him mentally, actually. I think he broke him physically, not mentally. Um, do you think that fans and media forget to consider Tony's age because of his wins? Yes. Nathan says, the UFC was not planning on testing the fighters after tonight's event. Now that they know they were exposed to someone who has COVID-19, does the organization have a responsibility to do so? Um, I would argue yes, but every time I say something like that, people lose their fucking mind. Someone says the UFC is testing fires after the event. Good. If they do, great, because they should. And by the way, they should have a test waiting for them when they get home. But again, that's just me thinking out loud. Do you think Gaethje could be Khabib? Yes. I mean, do I think he will? I don't know. Do I think he can? Yes. If Dana strips Stipe, I don't think he's stripping Stipe. I'm not worried about that. But if he did, would you say he got more disrespect as champ, Stipe or Woodley? Well, Stipe would have more fans than Woodley, I guess. But it'd be a, it would be a dramatic... I mean, to strip... He never stripped Woodley. To strip Stipe would be bad. Very bad. We need some new shirts already. I'll talk to Judd, see if he wants to come up with some. How much do you think making the difficult cut to 155 twice at 3x might have affected his performance? Not much, to be honest with you, because Khabib's got crazy level of cardio. I'm less concerned about that. Um, oh my God, there's so many questions. Let me see if I can fire through these. Okay, here we go. Um, I don't think that's the reason why he lost. Ngannou must have edged the embarrassment to Lewis before, sure. But I mean, he's earned a title shot too. Should Tony have waited? Again, rationally speaking, I would not have advised him taking this course of action. But these guys live for risk. Uh, again, question, who's next for Bryce Mitchell? I'm going to say Ryan Hall or Brian Ortega, equally good for me. Do you think the ground game was highlighted without the crowd's input? I think that's overstating it without more data. Someone says, salt and pepper coming with the heat. Thank you, sir. Who is the better striker, Wonderboy or Connor? Again, overall, I mean, I think I answered Connor previously, but in terms of like MMA effectiveness, I would maybe argue him. But if you're asking like overall repertoire, you know, certainly Wonderboy's got more tricks kind of a thing. Um, but like you just ask the, ask the question, who's done more with that striking ability? More people are like bigging up Thug Nasty with good reason. <laughs> Someone says Fabricio is off a particular PED. It's unrecognizable. I wouldn't say that, just not nearly as. He's also 42, for fuck's sake, you know? Should Ferguson go to 170? No. I don't think that's going to solve it. True or false? If they fight, Justin stops Khabib. Well, if he wins, he probably does. Masvidal destroys McGregor. Destroys is a strong word. Cejudo eventually comes back out of retirement. True. Francis would stop Miocic or Cormier. True. Ferguson is past his prime. False. Judges affected by commentary. Dude, people were like talking about DC having influence like Carlos Esparza's fight and other ones as well. 
And I was thinking, how could that be? Because they can hear their corners. And like Colin Oyama, for example, in the case of Carlos Esparza, like he knows a, a, a ton of stuff about the game. But the answer must be that you have somebody who doesn't know the game plan who is just sort of weighing in in a relatively neutralish way, you know. Um, what beer are you enjoying? I'm not enjoying beer. Jim Beam. What does the UFC do with the flyweight division? They're going to have the rematch with Benavidez and um, Figueredo. How ridiculous does Stephen A. Smith look when his tweet on the screen had him saying Garth instead of Gaethje? Did it, did it really have Garth? I didn't see that. Is that true? <laughs> He's awesome. And there was people defending him, uh, which is, you know, endlessly amusing to me. But okay. How would one go about sending you a nice whiskey? I will tell you when the time is right. It's not right right now. Someone give $100. Jesus Christ. Um, if you're honest, I respect that. A few people I know give their true thoughts. That's why I'm here and I always watch your channel. Thank you, Miguel. I got into Jedi Mind Tricks at your recommendation. Any other similar styled artists you can point me to? Army of the Pharaohs, which is the big super group. Uh, let's see. Did Justin's punishment win over Tony remind, Tony remind you of Manny Pacquiao's punishment over Margarito or Cotto? God, he fucked Cotto up, right? That was bad. Cater versus zombie. Please, Jesus. What a great what a great idea that is. Another person thanking me. I thank you, sir. Notice the strange standards using mass tonight. Dude, that made no sense, right? They're like, we gotta separate Joe and we gotta separate DC and we gotta separate John. And uh cornermen have to have masks and media have to have masks and like cameramen have to have masks. But then like they would take it off. Dana didn't have fuck all on, and he's sitting right next to like 10 people. It was like, I don't understand the rules here. I mean, I guess it's better if more people have masks than don't, okay? But why are some people required to have it and some aren't, and some are next to each other and some aren't? It seemed totally confused. I, I didn't get that at all. I mean, I'm not saying it's the biggest deal in the world per se, given everything that we're doing, but I, it was weird. It, that was totally weird. Will GSP fight Khabib? I don't know. I doubt it. Is Wonderboy the worst matchup for Usman? No. If the second round goes 30 seconds longer, does Tony finish Justin off with the uppercut? I'm going to say no, but it's a good question. Give the man his freaking camo shorts. Yes, dude. Give Thug Nasty some freaking camo shorts. Okay, I've gone on long enough. I appreciate everybody watching. Thanks to everyone who donated as well. Please, as always... Like the channel or like the video, subscribe to the channel. Happy Mother's Day to everybody. I got to get to sleep. Until next time, you know what I'm saying? Stay frosty, y'all.